Hello, it's Sunday morning. It's time for another episode of Words and Work. Today we're on the work side of things. We're going to talk about work for a nonprofit. Um, I think a lot of us don't think of nonprofits as uh, the same sort of workplace that you would find in in the corporate world, but you can still have a lot of the same relationships between employees and employers, management and labor, all of the same issues can can happen. And that happened at Defenders of Wildlife, who uh, decided, whose workforce decided that they would uh, unionize a few years ago. And the person that drove that was Erica Prather, uh, who lives here in Tucson. Uh, she's to talk a little bit about her work with Defenders of Wildlife and the passion she had for that work and uh, trying to organize employees, which got her fired, which is uh, very strange given the politics of organizations like that. But she's going to talk a little bit about that and about uh, being a young organizer. And uh, here we go. Okay, I've got uh, Erica Prather, um, who's with, uh, I think you guys are calling yourselves Defenders United? Yep. Okay. So first of all, um, I mean, this, this is a, uh, it's a union of folks that work for Defenders of Wildlife. And a lot of people might not think of nonprofits as something that maybe needs to be unionized or um, something like that. But, but what, First of all, talk a little bit about the work that you've done for the organization and what prompted you to try to organize there. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me on your podcast um, and was excited to meet you at the May Day event here in Tucson at the Amazon Warehouse, um, which I think speaks to solidarity. We need to be building across movements, not just staying in our silos of nonprofit, which you mentioned. So um, my job for Defenders of Wildlife, um, I was an organizer. So my official title was National Outreach Representative. I was on the government relations team and it was my job to build relationships with um, members of Congress and their offices here in Arizona. And the reason for that is because this has obviously become a key swing state. Um, and so my job was to build relationships with them to move a pro conservation agenda with, you know, there, there isn't a lot of wiggle room in a very polarized country to have um, these kind of purplish districts. And we have a lot of those in this state. Um, and I think everybody probably knows our beloved Senator Cinema, who is one of those votes I was trying to influence. Um, and I did that by empowering constituents across the state. And I, really worked a lot with youth and marginalized groups and folks that have been kind of historically excluded intentionally from conservation and political movements. Um, so that could look like, you know, we started different um, Defenders of Wildlife Campus Clubs across the state um, in key districts like up in Flag and Tucson and um, in Tempe. Um, so really engaging the youth voice and then also just collaborating a lot with a lot of groups across the state from International Dark Sky Association to Sunrise Movement um, to really build grassroots power to address the climate and 
ecological crisis, um, which obviously means a lot to us in Southern Arizona, since we're in one of the most biodiverse places in the whole country. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was my job. It varied a lot day to day, but I really loved it and I was good at it. And it takes, I did it for almost three years and it takes a lot of time, like to build trust with those key offices to the point where they can hit me up and say, Hey, should we sign on to this bill or should we do this? Um, and that no longer exists. So all that work, um, collapsed <laughs> once I was terminated for organizing a union at Defenders of Wildlife. Um, and, you know, the reason I thought we needed a union was many fold. I think, um, unfortunately, like neoliberal ideologies and corporate top-down structures very much permeate nonprofit sectors, especially what I'd call big greens. So like big environmental nonprofits. I'm not talking about like the local 10 person ones like Sky Island Alliance here in Tucson. I'm talking Sierra Club, Greenpeace, Union of Concerned Scientists, um, Audubon. We have all unionized within the last couple of years. So brand new unions, all of our workers are talking, supporting each other. Um, and we're doing that because there's a couple of reasons, you know, exploitation like our the president and ceo of defenders of wildlife jamie rapport clark makes half a million dollars um and a lot of our entry-level positions are not making wages where they can comfortably live let alone ever buy a house or do anything um you know one of the things that the bargaining committee was one of the very first things trying to bargain over was the fact that we had a 20 percent healthcare premium increase in 2022 and we did the math and Jamie Clark gave herself a $40,000 bonus, which, which would have more than covered the bargaining unit, the difference to pay for healthcare premium increase. And so there's a lot of stuff like that. That's just horrible. And we had no mechanism by which to address those wrongs to, um, you know, have a better workplace. Also defenders turnover is an astounding, like 80%. I was the 101st employee to be fired or quit in three years. And there were only about 140 people. Um, and, you know, I think the president and CEO, Jamie Clark, keeps saying in bargaining sessions now, like in the present moment, that it's all as a result of the great resignation. And that is not true. Um, people are burnt out or they get fired because they dissent not just at defenders, but at a lot of environmental nonprofits and nonprofits, mm -hmm. generally speaking, um, who just kind of tend to be a little more beholden to either like a corporate donor or some sort of, yeah, strange, just, just power struggle really within our organizations. And, you know, another reason, um, you know, besides the obvious ones, we also have no maternity leave and just really bad, you know, again, like not enough pay increase, like our CEOs and VPs, they can get, I don't even know, like it's limit, limitless percentage of increase salary increase every year. Whereas if you're not in a managerial position, the most you can get is a 3% raise. Um, so these inequities that exist at a lot of corporations, but I also found it appalling that, um, you know, Defenders was banking, is still banking with Bank of America, the number three funder of fossil fuel projects in the world. I 
very blatantly asked our president and CEO during an all staff meeting about divestment. And I was shot down immediately. No explanation, no conversation, no mechanism to have this conversation. Same with how in our pension portfolios, we're investing in United Healthcare and, and all these, and Amazon, we use Amazon and all these, all these, you know, things that don't to me seem to be us living our values. Um, you know, even just like dumb stuff, like why do we have little plush toys that are made in a sweatshop in China? Like, and, and, you know, those types of raising those questions should be celebrated, um, moving our mission to a forward place in all senses of the word to address the climate and ecological crisis, which are very much tied to exploitation of human beings, all of these exploitative practices colliding. Um, and so, you know, if you have any type of dissenting at defenders in a lot of these groups, you are unfortunately labeled as, yeah, like being, you know, I don't know, like you're betraying them or something instead of, instead of really caring and, and trying to push the values of the organization forward. So um, we started organizing the union in September of 2020. And we had an incredible campaign run across not just in a pandemic, so virtually, but across every single time zone. We have staff from Hawaii to DC. And, um, you know, our goal is always around 70, 75% of eligible employees voluntarily signing union cards. And we had a super majority of 80% of employees. And they even openly signed a letter to our president and CEO, Jamie Clark, asking for voluntary recognition. And with three hours, she shot us down. They had been talking to a boutique union busting firm for quite some time. And we knew that, but that was pretty disappointing. Um, Audubon for all and defenders United both were denied voluntary recognition. Whereas a lot of our partners at Sierra club and, and center for biological diversity and others were um, given voluntary recognition that doesn't mean they haven't faced their own <laughs> more subversive union busting, but um, that was pretty demoralizing to just off the bat say no, but um, we had an incredible NLRB election. So that was annoying and redundant to have to have an election, but we did. And we won just a landslide, like over 90% of people voted yes. And that was counted live on Zoom and verified in September of 2021. And so then we were officially recognized. And that's really when I think our union busting really started. You know, we didn't, since we weren't in a live setting, who knows if we would have had captive audience meetings or any of that. We didn't, we didn't have that. But as we started showing up at the bargaining table, um, I think that's when things got really ugly. And so my termination is just part of the union busting that's happened at, at Defenders. And um, there are a total of six unfair labor practice charges currently sitting with the NLRB that they're determining right now, um, including my termination case. So I'll take a breath there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's all right. Um, so you were terminated in February and, and yep. what was the reason that was given for that? Oh yeah. That's an interesting thing. Um, I was holding a climate grief workshop and I was holding it with um, a former employee and union organizer, but she moved on to another organization. We were holding a climate grief workshop um, virtually. And there was a woman who was being disruptive on the Zoom call. Um, and my former coworker made the decision to remove this person from the Zoom call. 
Um, and I think that was the right decision. And after she did it, attendees on the call thanked her. You know, that was a, we were really creating a vulnerable space for people that face a lot of burnout. We're asking them to always take action and, you know, call their rep and do all this stuff for, to, to address the climate crisis. Um, so we're trying to create this very, yeah, vulnerable open space for sharing. Um, and so after that, this person that was removed, um, reached out to a former defenders board member on LinkedIn and just said that she had this unpleasant experience and named me. And that was, that's what they've been looking for. It was just something, something, um, and so they didn't even talk to me. They didn't say, hey, what happened on that Zoom call? Or, hey, there were other people on that Zoom call. Can you tell us what happened? They um, they called me before my work hours, told me I was suspended. And then about once they had me on the phone, again, they bypassed the union. They, they emailed the union and said that I was suspended with intent to terminate. Um, and so start to finish, it was about three days. Um, and they, they just, I was gone. Um, so they just, again, they were just looking for a reason to get rid of me. It was a stupid reason. Had they even barely asked anybody what happened on that zoom call? It was like such a nothing burger. Um, and, and to be honest with you, organizers, we deal with bat crazy people in the public all the time. That's what we do. That's, that's part of our job. I would never report an incident like that to anyone above me because it's so benign. Like what do you think happens when I, you know, table on the border wall, I get approached by like, you know, very like volatile people. That's an issue I worked on for defenders was, um, the border wall. Our stance is anti-border wall, by the way, but, um, well, th you know. th thanks for making that clear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. and I think that's not always a yeah, yeah. connection people realize environmental groups, but it's, a huge habitat fragmentation project and among many other racist, horrible things. But, um, that being said, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was just a stupid, stupid thing. And they, um, yeah, they just pulled the plug and that's, you know, the, the things that the NLRB is currently investigating, um, which is kind of interesting, but, you know, four sections of the national labor relations act that they, that our union feels were violated through my termination case. But one of them is a pretty big deal. It's actually the fact that my union or my, my employer, my former employer um, basically took advantage of a Trump era interpretation of the law, which is super messed up for people who are already in the headspace of like, my God, environmental nonprofits are like needing unions. Yes. And they abused in my case, a Trump era interpretation of the law, which is that they did not bargain with my union over the terms of my employment. And that's how they've treated our union throughout this whole process a box checking exercise. Um, and so for that reason, region five of the NLRB has made a determination on my case, but they have not let me know what that is because they have to throw it up to one more level. Um, you know, at the national headquarters, because the Biden appointed general counsel is wanting to overturn some of these really horrible interpretations of the NLRA. And my case um, provides that opportunity potentially, which is really hard because like, I, I would love it if my case helped secure more, you know, workers rights, but it just shows you how <laughs> deeply like anti-worker Defenders of Wildlife CEO is, um, and so that's a little bit disturbing. But <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I 
I was getting ready to ask you a question about um, the difficulty in organizing in, in a nonprofit like this, where people are, you know, they feel very committed to this cause and, you know, but I guess that didn't apply here. I mean, I was thinking about friends of mine who've worked for other uh, big uh, nonprofits, either organizing in environmental work or uh, other, you know, stuff that's in that space where, you know, uh, employees were expected to give more yes. because of, of the cause. Right. Um, but it sounds like you were able to surmount that. Yeah. And I think um, I like that you brought that up because I think that, you know, one of the divisive talking points is, and this is every, you know, whatever company nonprofit doesn't matter is that like somehow the workers in this instance would be against the mission or were distracting or detracting from the mission by like making management see us as equals at a bargaining table, which is so untrue because as I was mentioning before, some of the stuff I'd like to see through the union mechanism divestment, that is completely in line with the mission and it's furthering the mission. Um, and so the union in no way, the union 100% pushes um, defenders management into a direction that they should already be moving. And it's, um, us doing a lot of the work that they simply cannot do or refuse to do. And I think also that right now we have a lot of lip service, a lot of chatter around DEIJ and all these spaces, especially conservation, which has, um, some very racist roots, quite frankly, to its, um, you know, in its nascent stages and even today. And, um, and so, you know, we keep like hiring consulting firms and all these things to try to help us figure it out when unionization is a hundred percent that like, you know, the equitable part of that acronym, hello, it lives in there. And so, so do so many other things. So I think for the workers, it's sad. I don't, I don't think that our management, either they don't get it or they don't care, but um, workers were able to make that connection immediately that, you know, I need a, pl a place to be protected, um, not just because my job is on the line if I dissent at this organization or if I, you know, challenge authority or if I make a suggestion, um, but also, you know, that if we really truly want to build equity within our workplace and within our partners, then the union is a wonderful way to do that. And we have, unfortunately, examples at Defenders in the time I was there, the very short time I was there, of women of color um, making less than white men at Defenders. Um, and the, this person I'm thinking of in particular had a higher education and everything. And so like, we need this mechanism. Some of that is, is just purely by accident, like that there's somebody not looking at all those things, you know, on an upper level. And some of it is intentional or internalized or whatever. And so these mechanisms of, you know, transparency and accountability are a hundred percent us moving in the direction that everybody needs to be moving in, but particularly conservation who keeps, you know, claiming that we, you know, want to marry social and environmental justice and kind of right those wrongs of our past, if you will, um, where it'd be like, oh, you know, we care about the birds, but not the people getting, you know, bashed by pollution. Like this is us simply starting down that path of, you know, 
that type of actual true justice. So it's really sad to see not just at defenders, but across the the green groups, um, you know, some, I would say defenders being one of the more severe, but severe to moderate resistance um, to, to workers really stepping up and doing again, a lot of this work. And we do this work for the union because we care about the mission and because we care about the climate and extinction crisis. And I really don't think that we can meaningfully address the climate and ecological crisis without unions. After what I've seen, um, I, I don't think we can do it without unions. You know, I, I gotta say, you you do you give a really passionate, um, you know, lesson in, in in what what the union movement can do and and is with these other groups and. So I, I don't see you as someone that ever needed someone giving you lessons and so on and so forth. But what was your experience with the labor movement before you started doing this? Yeah, I um, I really had no experience and I I just didn't know anything about it. And my kind of like entry point into <clears throat> it is I read Bernie's Our Revolution, which really opened my eyes to like, why things suck. I mean, I'm kind of a classic millennial in the fact that I graduated undergrad in 2007. So all I've known is like crap, like a bad economy, worsening wages, greater inequities, more violence, like all these things, you know, collapsing healthcare, you know, an increasingly urgent climate and ecological crisis. They are all connected. And I, you know, I think especially once Bernie, once the horrible corporate moderate Dems coalesced around Bernie and took him out, and I was thinking, like, what are ways that the progressive movement can continue to to live on and and keep moving in a di- better direction than the one we're going? Because it sucks. Um, it was kind of like these things colliding, where I was like, oh my god, like that's a that's a mechanism, and I didn't know that people were already doing it. So. I was pretty much introduced immediately to allies at Greenpeace who had just unionized um, literally like a month or two prior to my very first phone call with them. And they were so generous and were just like, here's everything we have. Here's our survey. Here's our documents. Here's like, you know, they just held our hand the whole way. And that was really such a warm introduction to like the labor movement of just like, wow, there is, there are people that will get on the phone with me anytime, night or day to, to help, to help build um, a worker centered, truly grassroots, you know, something that works for everybody in principle, which is what a union is democratically led. And um, that was so cool. And since then I've just met the coolest people um, in this, you know, nexus of environment and labor that are so passionate and give so much to it because they believe in it. And that's really kept me going, especially through this ordeal, like sitting here without a job and an income talking to you. It's not been easy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really didn't have much of a window into it. And I really had to, I think, unlearn some of the brainwashing I've endured like whatever that little voice would come up from my childhood or whatever, that's like unions are bad or something. And I read lots of books like dark money and Coke land that really helped me unpack like, Oh, <laughs> I was basically, yeah. Brainwashed to think unions are bad because 
corporations don't like them because they're powerful and are, are democratic. And, um, and so now it's, it's really exciting to kind of stand on the other side and, and, you know, meet people like you at, at labor events that have a different lens on it. And I believe in a lot of the same prospects, there's parallels with what I was doing with my job for defenders, which is engaging in a democratic process and giving voice to the average everyday person to use their voice for a decision maker, you know, to a decision maker and empower them and embolden them and remove barriers for them to really step into their power and, and use their voice. And it's the same exact principle um, with labor. And so, you know, now I, I obviously believe wholeheartedly in unions and even after everything I've been through, I would do it all again. I wouldn't change anything. Um, and I think it's so exciting to see so much like vibrancy and energy around it. And to me, it's like the biggest dream is for all these different, you know, sectors to be able to cross pollinate and come together and, and really support each other. And that's how I think we build a movement in the United States where for once, we could potentially have a country that works for people, not just corporations. <laughs> so that's the dream. <laughs> oh, you kids today with your little dreams. No, <laughs> you know, and, and actually that's one of the things that's, that I've found interesting. I mean, as someone as, as a Gen X or, you know, grew up in a generation, I mean, you know, we came of age right after the Patco firings, you know, so it was downhill for a long time. But I'm meeting a lot of folks your age that seem to have embraced the labor movement without really having those um, role models that maybe people of my parents' generation would have had. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's part that speaks to that intentional union breakage. Like there's a whole chapter in Cokeland about how the Koch brothers broke like the hearts and souls of unions because they wanted to take over another plant. This was in Michigan or something. And, you know, it was gut-wrenching to read it, but I was like, well, that explains like, even, even here in Tucson, I went to this cool event at um, what's it called? The labor temple, which is a beautiful, I mean, I'm sure you know of it, but it was news to me. And it, you know, it was a, a union hall, which I think we're really missing in this day and age. Like, yes, Zoom is cool for union meetings, but, you know, get get a beer and build this camaraderie and solidarity and like the union songs and this, this cool, like magical experience, at least in my mind of people really building that solidarity. And then that, that was intentional. Like, I mean, you, you know this, but whoever's listening to this, that doesn't know, like the intentional busting of all of that. So yeah, I feel like there is this weird gap without, you know, I, anybody to have this direct experience of like teaching those values, you kind of had to be like, Oh my God, there was this whole thing that tried to get buried. And it it sucks that things are so bad that people (laughs) are looking for solutions outside of like the ones that are prescribed to us. I'm one of those people, but there's also this like treasure trove. Once you find, once you kind of, you know, peek into that space and say like, wow, there's people that have been doing this. Like we just stand on the shoulders of so many people that have done this before, um, which is really amazing. And just, you know, a true use of the word hope, which is a kind of dangerous kooky word, but. (laughs) Well, well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Let me. uh... Thank you, Erica, and thank all of you for listening. Um, An additional thank you. uh, I have been 
down with COVID, actually, and I'm still recovering. Uh, much like uh, Jan van Eyck, I'm a bit Flemish right now still, so if uh, that came through in the interview, I'm sorry. But uh, thank all of you for listening. Uh, thank you for continuing to support the show. Words and Work has been a production of the National Writers Union Tucson chapter and Downtown Radio. Once again, thank you for listening. See you all next week.